Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for this privilege to open your word. Lord, where in the world would we be without your word? And so, Father, we pray that for the glory and praise of your Son and by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would open our eyes now that we might behold wonderful things in your beautiful word. And we ask, Lord, what we know not, please teach us, and that what we have not, please give to us, and what we are not, O Lord, please make us, all for the glory and praise of your dearly beloved Son, who lives and who reigns with you, together with the Holy Spirit, one God forever blessed and forever praised. Amen. Just imagine that there's something that you desperately must have, and at the same time, you cannot find it, and you cannot buy it. I think many of us have had this very experience during the current pandemic and the quarantine. Necessary items such as toilet paper or hand sanitizer or thermometers or FDA-approved masks or a 12-pack of Dr. Pepper, all of these have been nearly impossible to find and to purchase. And for those of us living in the affluent West, which would include all of us who are at our congregation, this has probably been quite a shock to the system because we normally just perform a quick search and click a button and add something to our cart and then complete the order. And within a day or two, at most, we have in our hands the very thing we're desperately needing to have. I remember several years ago when we were living on Capitol Hill, uh, my daughter Emmeline, her birthday was fast approaching. And for her birthday, Allison and I wanted to buy her this classic pink dollhouse. Now the problem was that Toys R Us had discontinued this particular dollhouse that she wanted. And that's when the Valiant Quest began. We scoured the internet. We began to call every single Toys R Us in the DC metro area and up and down the eastern seaboard from Miami to Nova Scotia. We were searching high and low for this pretty little pink dollhouse. We were willing to pay within reason a substantial price to purchase this item. And if you're blessed to have a daughter, uh, you know just how important this kind of stuff is. Now we ended up finding one of these dollhouses on the other side of Baltimore. And Emmeline wants you all to know that if you're searching for a pink Fisher-Price family living loving dollhouse, it can be yours for the right price. So just reach out to Emmeline if you're interested. Now listen, that's the way we approach so many things in life, isn't it? We assume that if we want something, even if something is scarce, all we need to do is just search diligently for it, and then we'll be able to find it eventually. And once we find it, all we need to do is simply fork over some cash, and we can buy it. Name the price, pay the money, we get what we want. That's just how the world works. But... God's Word tells us that this is not how true wisdom is found. You and I are in desperate need of true wisdom. We must have true wisdom. And at the same time, no matter how far and wide we search on this earth, we cannot find true wisdom. And no matter how much money we have, we cannot buy true wisdom. Listen to what the Lord's servant Job has to say about wisdom. This is in Job 28. He asks, Where shall wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? It is not found in the land of the living. From where then does wisdom come? It is hidden from the eyes of all living. 
It cannot be bought for gold, and silver cannot be weighed as its price. Where shall wisdom be found? Job asks. Well, this morning we find incredibly great news in the letter of James concerning true wisdom. Pastor James tells us where true wisdom is found, how true wisdom behaves, and what true wisdom produces in our lives. And best of all, James tells us all of this for free. So please, if you haven't opened or swiped to your Bible, um, once again, open to this wonderful letter of James. This morning, we turn in our studies in James to James chapter 3, verses 13 to 18. James chapter 3, verses 13 to 18. We have learned, well, I don't know about you, I have learned much about what it means to grow in Christian maturity as we have been served by our visiting minister, uh, Pastor James, the pastor of the Jerusalem church. He's been our visiting minister for the last several weeks. As you know, he was the pastor of the Jerusalem church, and he's also a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is also the brother of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. And so Pastor James wants his readers, who were a group of scattered Jewish believers, to be perfect. That is, to be mature, to be complete and consistent followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so to that end, Pastor James has been giving a series of tests. We've read about the test of trials and the test of temptation and the test of faith and the test of true religion. We've read about the test of partiality in chapter 2 and the test of faith. And most recently in James chapter 3, if you remember last time, James administered the test of the tongue. And all of these tests are intended to help us understand and put into practice that which will lead to true Christian maturity. And now this morning, James issues yet another test, the test of true wisdom. If we would be mature, if we would be complete, if we would be consistent followers of our Lord Jesus Christ, you and I must pass the true wisdom test. And so as I read, pay careful and prayerful attention to the series of contrasts James makes in this passage, between true wisdom and false wisdom. This is what Scripture says. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make for peace. So this morning, James gives us the test of true wisdom. And the test of true wisdom has only three questions. This is just a three-question test. And these three questions will serve as the outline for our passage. First question, question number one. How does true wisdom behave? Verses 13 and 14. How does true wisdom behave? Question number two. Where is true wisdom found? Verse 15. Where is true wisdom found? Verse 15. And number three. What does true wisdom produce? What 
does true wisdom produce? Verses 16 to 19. My prayer for each one of us, my prayer for our church, is that God would make us all wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, the one who himself is our peace, and the one who is himself the wisdom and the power of God. Number one, how does true wisdom behave? Verses 13 and 14. In these opening verses, Pastor James compares and contrasts how true wisdom and false wisdom behave. Now, some people take these verses to apply specifically to teachers. They go back to chapter 3, verse 1, and they look at James' warning against teachers, and that was followed by a whole section on the tongue. But um, I don't understand this verse to narrowly apply to teachers. I I think that these uh, verses apply certainly to those who teach God's Word, but they also apply more broadly to the whole congregation, to all of those to whom James is writing. And so James, as a good rabbi, he begins by asking a loaded question. I think uh, James learned this technique of asking loaded questions from his older brother, Jesus. He, He begins by asking, now who is wise and understanding among you? James asks, if anyone among you thinks that you're wise and understanding, go ahead, just please step right on up. Now, this is an interesting question, right? Um, It'd be like asking, hey, whoever is the most humble person in the room, whoever is the most humble person in the room, just go ahead and raise your hand, right? I mean, how do you know if you're a wise person? Better, how do you show that you're a wise person? How can you tell if if someone is a wise guy or a wise gal? How do you recognize a wise person? Now, you might be tempted to answer that question by saying, oh, well, you just need to listen to what they say. Listen to their words. Listen to their speech. Evaluate their wisdom based on what they say. Do they say words of wisdom or do they say something that's foolish? Just listen to their words. Now, that would make a lot of sense in context because, as I mentioned, James has been talking about, in all of chapter 3, about how to bridle our tongue, right? We know that the Lord Jesus, our Savior, said that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so, if wisdom, if true wisdom is hidden in our hearts, then true wisdom will certainly flow out of our mouths. But Pastor James does not emphasize our speech in verses 13 and 14. He doesn't talk about how wisdom talks, but rather about how wisdom walks. Once again, James it's almost like he's from the state of Missouri because he's always talking about show me, right? Show me. Remember, he says, show me. Show me. If you're, if, you're, if you're wise, well, then show me. True wisdom, James says, shows itself. True wisdom works itself out. True wisdom behaves in a certain way. And what James is going to say in these verses is this. True wisdom behaves beautifully and humbly. First, notice that true wisdom behaves beautifully. Verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you? Then he says this, by his good conduct. Another way to render that is by his beautiful life. Let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. When we think about leading a beautiful life, we might mistakenly envision someone else's perfectly curated Instagram or Facebook feed. But when James talks about a beautiful life, when he talks about showing wisdom and adorning wisdom and putting wisdom on display by our good conduct, he has in mind this. True wisdom behaves 
by doing good works. True wisdom behaves beautifully. Jesus used the same word. He used the same word in Luke 21.5 to describe the temple in Jerusalem because it was adorned with beautiful and precious stones. And James is saying that true wisdom behaves in a way that is beautiful. A truly wise person lives a truly beautiful life in the sight of God by doing good works that God finds to be truly beautiful. There are passages in the Bible that talk about um, that our, our, our works, are, our, even our good works, are like filthy rags before God. But that's, that's written in a context of, of thinking that you can come before God and merit some some uh, access to Him through our works. That is not what James is talking about here. True good works that are done in Christian faith are pleasing to God. They're beautiful in His sight because they come to us through Christ. And so James says, look, who's good, who's wise and understanding among you? Well, by his good conduct, by his good behavior, by his beautiful life, let him show his works. So James is saying something important for us to hear, that true wisdom shows itself in our lives, not by words alone, but by our deeds. True wisdom is not shown in how much doctrine or theology or Bible verses you know. True wisdom is shown in how much you're putting that theology and those Bible verses and that doctrine into practice in the everyday of your life. True wisdom shows itself by not being simply a hearer of the word, but being a doer of the word. And you'll remember that James taught us earlier that faith without works is dead. Well, just as your faith is shown by your good works, so true wisdom is shown by your good works because true wisdom behaves beautifully. But second, notice that true wisdom also behaves humbly. According to Pastor James, these works that are uh, that mark a beautiful life are demonstrated or shown in the meekness of wisdom, that is, in the meekness or the humility that comes from wisdom. True wisdom behaves humbly. True wisdom behaves meekly. And so meekness is not a word we use that often. I think meekness is is kind of, um, meekness, I think, gets a bad rap these days. We, We associate meekness with weakness. A a meek person is, in our minds, you know, a a timid pushover. But in the Bible, meekness is a wonderful and glorious thing. Meekness is the quality of someone who's not overly impressed with themselves. Isn't that wonderful? A meek person is someone who's not overly impressed with themselves. It's someone that has a gentle humility about them. True wisdom doesn't walk around bragging about all the good works that it does. True wisdom doesn't humble brag. True wisdom doesn't let the whole world know that it's done a good work. True wisdom just humbly and quietly and meekly and considerately goes about doing those good works. And do you know who was meek and lowly? Do you know whose entire life was perfectly marked by gentleness and humility and lowliness and meekness? Our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, who said of himself, I am gentle, I am meek, humble, and lowly in heart. So a meek person isn't a weak person. The mightiest person in the universe is also the meekest person in the universe. The the lion of the tribe of Judah is also the lamb who was slain for the sins of the world. And so a meek person is humble like Jesus, 
who was true wisdom incarnate. So true wisdom behaves humbly and behaves beautifully. Now let me ask you, just think about this. I often ask you to ponder your own death because I love you. And I want you to think about, wouldn't that be a wonderful thing for your family and friends to say about you at your funeral? What a legacy it would be for your family and friends to to put this on your tombstone. Here lies a poor sinner who was saved by the grace of God and who by that same grace lived a beautiful and humble life. That would be a wonderful thing, wouldn't it? But not everyone aspires to live life according to God's wisdom. Look at verse 14. But if you have bitter jealousy or envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. You see, James makes a clear contrast between the way true wisdom behaves in verse 13 and the way false wisdom behaves in verse 14. He's basically saying, look, if you claim to be wise while at the same time you've got jealousy and envy and selfishness and ambition in your hearts, then please don't dare boast about your so-called wisdom. That's not wisdom from above. James knows that both true wisdom and false wisdom behave in different ways. Think about it this way. You can recognize true wisdom by its fruits, and you can recognize false wisdom by its fruits, by, by the way it works itself out. Now, if I, if I said, open your hand, and I gave you some seeds, a handful of seeds, and I said, you know, identify um, the type of seeds that I've put in your hand. Now, unless you're some kind of botanist or a green thumb, um, you're probably not going to be able to correctly identify those seeds, right? I mean, seeds just look like seeds. Um, but if I walked over to an orchard and I pointed to an apple tree, um, and these the apple tree was just hanging, had all these beautiful, delicious, honey crisp apples uh, hanging on the on the on the on the branches, and I said to you, now, now what seeds were used to grow these things? Well, you could easily say, well, that's an apple tree. Uh, you idiot! It, it it's it's got it, it grew out of apple seeds, um, and, and you can identify the seeds by beholding the fruit. And in the same way, James helps us identify true wisdom and false wisdom by its fruits, by looking at how it behaves. True wisdom behaves beautifully and humbly, but false wisdom behaves in an ugly way. False wisdom is marked by bitter jealousy and envy and selfishness and strife and contentiousness and pride and false boasting. When you see all of that, that's that's the fruit of false wisdom. That's exactly how false wisdom, worldly wisdom, behaves itself. That's what it produces. We don't want, at the end of our lives for our friends and families to look back on our lives and describe the damaging effects of a life wasted because it was a life devoted to false wisdom. Back in 2017, a family in Galveston, Texas made headlines around the world after writing a scathing, and I mean scathing, obituary for a 75-year-old man named Leslie Ray Charping. This is what they wrote, quote, With Leslie's passing, he will be missed only for what he never did. That is, being a faithful husband, a loving father, and a good friend. He never did those things. His life served no obvious purpose. He did not contribute to society. He did not serve his community, and he possessed no redeeming qualities. His passing only proves 
that evil does in fact die. End quote. Now, can you imagine? Can you imagine having those words written about you from the people that know you best? That is an ugly, ugly life. But James wants his readers, he wants you and me, to avoid living this kind of life. And James wants us to avoid the false wisdom that behaves in this ugly way. And I think we, we can all confess, though, we can all confess that we have many times, even this week, failed to behave humbly, failed to behave beautifully. I think too often in our own lives, we, we, we see the, the fruits of false wisdom in our lives. We see carnal wisdom because we see selfish ambition and envy, and we see discord and jealousy and pride. And so as a church, we need to pray constantly for ourselves, don't we? We are scattered right now, but brothers and sisters, we can still pray. We may be scattered and not able to gather together on the Lord's day, but we can always gather together before the throne of grace. We can meet there and we can pray for each other. And so I would encourage you this week, pray Colossians 3.12. Oh God, help us as your holy and beloved chosen ones to put on, to clothe ourselves with compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Pray, pray 1 Peter 2.12. Oh Lord, help us to keep our conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against us as evildoers, they may see our beautiful deeds, our glorious deeds, our good deeds, and glorify you, Father, on the day of visitation. Brothers and sisters, how does true wisdom behave? True wisdom behaves beautifully and humbly. Now we move to question number two. Where is true wisdom found? Verse 15. Where is true wisdom found? A few years ago, there was an award-winning photographer and filmmaker named Andrew Zuckerman, and he set out in pursuit of wisdom. And in 2008, he published a book called, you might want to write this down, it was called Wisdom. Very great title. And he photographed and he interviewed what he called 50 of the world's greatest creative, spiritual, and intellectual elders. Okay? Now, by elders, he meant those who are 65 and older. Okay? So, so in your mind, I want you to think, who are the 50 of the world's greatest creative, spiritual, and intellectual elders, that is, older folks who are 65 and up? Um, now, I can think of lots of, of folks I would put on that list. Here are the folks he went to. Uh, number one, um, the Dalai Lama. Uh, number two, Clint Eastwood. Number three, Nelson Mandela. And um, number four, my favorite, Willie Nelson. Um, now, he, just because you're probably not going to be able to get this book in the library, I don't even know if it's in the library, but it, the library is closed. But here's a point. Um, here, here's some pearls of wisdom from the book. And I promise you, I'm not making this up. Uh, here are some words of wisdom from the book Wisdom. Quote, nobody can teach me who I am. Number two, you have to be taught to hate. Number three, far more interesting than problem solving is problem creation. Uh, number four or five, I don't remember, don't be too ambitious. And then uh, the last, uh, no, two more. Next one, the heart is what matters most of all. Okay. Um, next one, be curious about life. Be curious about life. Okay. Now, here's my point. Listen, brothers and sisters, true wisdom is not found by keeping Willie Nelson always on your mind. 
Pastor James wants his readers to know that there's a kind of wisdom that's in this world that's actually false wisdom. It's phony wisdom. It, it has the appearance of wisdom and self-made religion, Paul says in Colossians 2, but it has absolutely no value in helping fight the indulgence of the flesh. Verse 15, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but on the other hand is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. The word this in verse 15 refers back to the sinful actions and attitudes listed in verse 14. That is, sinful ambition, um, envy, jealousy, and arrogant boasting. So in other words, all of this is not in accord with the wisdom that's from above, but rather is in accord with the worldly wisdom, the false wisdom that comes down, that, that, that rather, that is earthly and unspiritual. Another way to render that word unspiritual is just the word natural. Natural. And the third characteristic is that it's demonic. So let's just take a minute and let's drill into this a little bit. What are these three characteristics of false wisdom, of worldly wisdom? Notice what he says. Number one, James says it's earthly. It's earthly. False wisdom is earthly. That's the opposite of heavenly. This is the kind of, uh, of narrow perspective that this world provides. It only gives you the perspective of this world. It's earthbound. It never arises rises above this world. It's anchored to this fallen, cursed world. Number two, James says it's natural or unspiritual. False wisdom is natural. That is, uh, it's the opposite of spiritual, spirit-wrought wisdom. It's false wisdom that finds its source in fallen human reason and human feeling and human opinion. I mean, case in point, just look at the quotes I gave you earlier from that book, Wisdom. It's not imparted by the Spirit of God. It's completely and totally of the flesh. It's natural, it's unspiritual. And number three, James says that this false wisdom is demonic. It's demonic. It's literally of demons. It finds its source ultimately in the demonic realm that's ruled by Satan, who is himself the father of lies. So the world, did you notice? The world, the flesh, and the devil are represented in that description of false wisdom. The world, the flesh, and the devil, the three main spiritual opponents that every single one of us faces. If you don't know where that idea comes from, it's found in a couple places. One place to, to, to remember where it's located is when the Apostle Paul mentions uh, our lives before we knew Christ. He says in Ephesians 2 that our lives uh, were marked um, before coming to Christ by these three spiritual opponents. He says in, in Ephesians chapter 2, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world. There's the first one, the world. Following the prince of the power of the air. That's the second one. That's Satan. That's the devil. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Verse 3, among whom you also once lived in the passions of your flesh. There's the third one. Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So what James is saying is that these scattered Christians that he was writing to, he's lovingly confronting them by telling them that their actions and their attitudes look more like non-Christians than Christians. He's basically saying to his readers, look, Christian maturity means decreasing your reliance upon worldly wisdom and increasing your reliance upon heavenly wisdom, wisdom that's from above. 
Now, the most popular book ever published in the English language, I think it's the most popular book ever published, period, is, of course, the King James Bible. Um, and, of course, uh, the, the, the book that was published most often after the King James Bible was a book that was written by a poor, uneducated tinkerer who repaired metal pots for a living to support his wife and children. And this man was also one of the greatest preachers of his generation. His name was John Bunyan, and the book he wrote is called The Pilgrim's Progress. And the reason that Christians still read it today is because it is brimming. It is overflowing with Bible. You prick it anywhere and it bleeds Bible. It overflows with wisdom from above. I try to read this little book at least once a year. And there's this famous scene when the main character who's trying to find his way from the city of destruction to the heavenly city, and he stops and asks directions from a man whose name is Worldly Wise Man. That's his name, Worldly Wise Man. And of course, worldly wise man gives the pilgrim horrible counsel and he directs him away from the cross and he directs him towards eternal damnation. And it was only by the grace of God that the pilgrim ends up meeting the evangelist who directs him back on the right path. And so... What James wants us to see is that if we want to make it through the wilderness of this world and arrive at the heavenly city, we should not be listening to the counsel of worldly wise man because this is false wisdom. It's worldly, it's fleshly, and it's demonic. So where shall true wisdom be found? Where do we find it? True wisdom is isn't in the world. True wisdom comes down to us from God above. True wisdom is found through knowing and trusting the God above. True wisdom is found through knowing and trusting the God who is above, the only wise God. So two two points of application. First, ask for true wisdom in prayer to God. And number two, acquire true wisdom through the Word of God. Number one, ask for true wisdom in prayer to God. Remember what James said at the very outset of his letter, James 1.5? If you don't memorize any other verse in James, memorize this one. James 1.5, if any one of you lacks what? Wisdom. Let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. In other words, true wisdom is from God. We don't have true wisdom. We need true wisdom. So James says, well, go ask God. Ask him for it. True wisdom is from above. It comes down to us from our Father in heaven, and we receive true wisdom from God's fatherly hand. Our Father loves to give good gifts to His children, but we've got to ask Him for it. And so we must recognize that we are in need of wisdom, and that humbles us. We admit, Lord, I'm a foolish child, and I need your wisdom. Please give me wisdom for today to help help me walk before you wisely in a beautiful way, and in a humble way. And so the only wise God, He delights to give wisdom to those who ask Him. So brothers and sisters, ask Him. Ask Him when you wake up. Ask Him throughout the day. Ask Him every hour. He is ready and willing to shower wisdom from above on you if you will simply ask Him for it. Ask Him for it. Ask Him for it. Number two, you acquire true wisdom through the Word of God. You acquire true wisdom, James teaches us, through receiving, believing, and practicing God's wise and holy Word. God's Word is one of His good and perfect gifts that comes down to us from above, from the Father of lights. 
James 1.17. It was through God's Word that we were born again. James 1.18, of His own will, He brought us forth. How? How did He give us new birth? He tells us, by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of His creatures. If you want to cleanse yourself of your worldliness and of your wickedness, James has already told you what to do. James 1.21, therefore put away, or better, putting away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived except for Jesus, wrote these words, Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments within you, and making your hear your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding yes if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures then then you will understand the fear of the lord and find the knowledge of god and then he tells us in verse 6 why for the lord gives wisdom. And from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright, and he is a shield to those who walk in integrity. Where is true wisdom found? Where is true wisdom found? True wisdom is found in fearing the Lord. True wisdom is found in knowing and trusting the Lord, our God above. And we ask Him for wisdom in prayer and we acquire His wisdom from His Word. And that will remind you, brothers and sisters, that as you seek true wisdom from God by prayer and through the Word, remember, oh, remember this. If you have dozed off, wake up, listen, get some coffee. Just hit pause, go get some coffee, then come back. Listen. Remember this, that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in Jesus Christ, our Savior. When we ourselves were once foolish and disobedient and led astray and slaves to various passions and pleasures, when we were passing our days in malice and envy, when we were hated by others and we were hating one another, then the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared and He saved us, not by works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Brothers and sisters, when we were foolish, the only wise God rescued us, not by, by anything that we had done, not because of anything we had done, but according to His great mercy through the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. God loved us so much, even we, when we were still fools, Christ died for us. God the Father hasn't just sent us wisdom down from above in His Word. And He hasn't just poured out His Spirit of wisdom upon us from above. He sent us true wisdom incarnate, Jesus Christ, the one who is the wisdom and power of God, to be our Savior. True wisdom has indeed come down in Jesus Christ. So behold, brothers and sisters, one greater than Solomon is here. I remember one of the early church fathers, Bernard of, uh, of Clairvaux, he, he said this once. He said, while I live here below, my only wisdom shall be to know Jesus Christ and Him crucified. For that is the most sublime of all. 
is Jesus Christ and Him crucified, your true wisdom. The world looks at the cross of Christ and says, that is foolishness. That is weakness. But the Christian looks at the cross of the Savior. The Christian looks at the cross and sees the wisdom of God and the power of God. We preach Christ crucified because Christ is the wisdom and the power of God. So where is true wisdom found? True wisdom is found only through knowing and trusting God above who has come down to us in Christ alone. Oh, friend, if you are listening to this and you don't know Jesus, run to Him by faith. You have sinned against your Maker. He made you for Himself, but we have turned our backs on Him and done what we wanted to do. That's what the Bible calls sin. It means to, 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 to break what your Maker has commanded you to be and to do. And because of our sins, we've separated ourselves from God. But in His great mercy and love, the Father sent His only Son into the world who took on flesh and dwelt among us. And He was fully obedient all the way to the cross where He suffered and died in the place of sinners for anyone who would ever turn and trust in Him. And He rose again from the dead. And now He stands he sits enthroned in heaven and He calls anyone, anyone to turn from their sins and to trust in Him, to receive Him, to, to entrust their lives and eternity to Him. And He promises to receive us and to cleanse us and to justify us and to set us apart and to make us His children. And so He offers Himself through the power of His Spirit in His Word to be your wisdom today if you will receive Him by faith. Where is true wisdom found? It's found in Christ alone. And number three, as we close, what does true wisdom produce? What does true wisdom produce? Verses 16 to 19. This is a sweet way to end. True wisdom produces Peace. True wisdom produces peace. That's how James concludes. James wants the congregations, the, the, the believers to whom he is writing, to receive true wisdom so that we might behave beautifully and humbly in order that local churches might enjoy the fruit of what true wisdom produces, namely, peace. You'll see in verses 16 to 19 that once again, for the third time, James is going to contrast uh, between true and false wisdom. Look at what false wisdom produces, James says, and then look at what true wisdom produces. They produce two separate things. Look at verse 16. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Um, doesn't that sound like a wonderful church to join? Isn't that awesome? Um, imagine for a minute if churches were required to, to um, let's say for, they had to put, just be brutally honest about how they were as an actual church on their website. You go to someone's website and it says, hey, welcome to our church website. If you visit our congregation, we can promise you this. You'll find a bunch of worldly sinners who embrace worldly wisdom, and as a result, we are full of jealousy and envy and selfishness and prideful ambition and chaos and disorder and every vile practice. Please come and check us out. Um, that would be pretty awful, right? So false wisdom, it, it always seeks to divide and destroy, uh, and, and you see this all the time in the local church. There are churches around the world that are split wide open because those churches are filled with people who are filled themselves with 
false worldly wisdom. And it, 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 it will not hide itself forever. Eventually, it begins to show up in behavior, and then it shows up in what it produces, namely disorder and every vile practice. There was a great book written several years ago by uh, Amanda Kim, Ken Sandy. It was a book called uh, Peacemaker, and this is what he said. It's it's a it's a it's a, a a lengthy quote, but I think he hits the hits the nail on the head. He says this quote: "The first way false wisdom works itself out is that you begin to think negatively of the qualities of others. You develop a critical attitude towards others. You start a subtle selective data gathering, and you overlook or minimize." another person's good qualities, and at the same time, you magnify any unfavorable qualities. And as a result, you find faults with other people. You seize them, and you say to yourself, you see, I told you so. One critical judgment feeds on another critical judgment, and the person's character is steadily diminished and destroyed um, in your mind. The second way, Sandy continues, the second way false wisdom works itself out is this. You think the worst of another's words and actions. So you think the worst of other people. You hear rumors or observe fragments of someone's behavior, and instead of searching for a favorable interpretation or giving them a chance to explain themselves, you prefer to put the worst construction on what they've done. You overlook things that are in the person's favor and you focus on the things that seem to be against them. You fill in the gaps with assumptions and you pass a harsh judgment on them. Last part, third way, Sandy writes, the third way false wisdom works itself out is when you assume the worst about another person's motives. You habitually assume the worst about other people's motives. You are quick, listen, to attribute to an un, you, you are quick to attribute an unworthy motive to someone else. You attribute pride and greed and selfishness and stubbornness. End quote. Now, why do I share all that with you? I share all that because it's it's a very realistic and a convicting statement. Instead of assuming the best, instead of looking for evidences of grace, worldly wisdom produces in us a desire to think of others with poor motives, even false motives. And it fuels a desire in us to think the worst and then to act the worst towards those whom Christ died for. And that's what he says, verse 17. Look what he says. How does true wisdom act? What's the opposite of this? Well, true wisdom says this, verse 17. But, he's making the contrast, but the wisdom that's from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make for peace. Oh, isn't that beautiful? The first thing James says about wisdom from above, heavenly wisdom, is that it's pure. It's pure. It has come down from the Father of lights who is pure. And he says it's, it's, it's pure, it's innocent, it's blameless. And the person who is walking in this true wisdom from above, this true wisdom from God, is therefore peaceable and gentle and open to reason. They love peace. They're peacemakers. They don't go around stirring up strife and selfishness and envy. They are gentle. They're considerate. They're willing to yield to someone else's interest and put others' interest above their own. They seek the well-being of others. They're accommodating. They're reasonable. The second, the person who's walking in true wisdom is full of mercy and good fruits. Good fruits and mercy just spill out from them. They're merciful. They demonstrate mercy by good deeds. 
they care and love and they seek to pour themselves out for others. And lastly, the person who's walking in true wisdom is impartial and sincere. They're not fake. They're not hypocrites. They don't make distinctions uh, between people or show partiality. They're undivided. They're sincere. They're genuine. They're stable and trustworthy and transparent. And brothers and sisters, churches that are made up of those who are walking according to true wisdom, who are filled with true wisdom from above, those are churches that are filled with peacemakers. And peaceful churches honor God because God is not a God of confusion, but He is a God of peace. 1 Corinthians 14.33 And what does this wisdom from above produce? Look at verse 18. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Oh, that's beautiful. A bountiful harvest of righteousness and peace. That's the fruit of wisdom from above. That's what wisdom from above produces in churches that are filled, congregations that are that are made up of those who are hearing, receiving, and putting true wisdom into practice. It's for good reason that our Savior said, Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Let me close by reminding you of the glory and grace of Jesus. The most priceless thing, the most priceless thing that we could ever receive in this world is to be in a right relationship with God now and forever in the life to come. And this relationship with our wise God is something that you and I must have. Without a relationship, a saving relationship with our Maker, we will spend an eternity in hell. We must have this relationship. And left to ourselves, we cannot find it. And we cannot buy it. And the wonder of wonders is that this relationship with our Maker, this relationship with our Maker may be ours, not because of our diligent searching and not because of our deep pockets, but because of what God has done and because of the riches of His everlasting grace in Jesus. The ultimate peacemaker who has ever lived is the same person who is also wisdom incarnate. The same person in whom is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge is the same person who made peace with God for all of his people through the blood of his cross. He said, peace I leave with you and peace, my peace I give to you and not as the world do I give to you. The Savior not only made peace with God for all who turn and trust in him, for all who turn from their sins and trust Him. He not only made peace with God, but He is Himself our peace with God. The Savior Himself is our peace. Just what a blessed thought. As long as Jesus Christ, the great I Am, is, I have peace with God. As long as my risen Savior, Jesus Christ, lives, I have peace with God. Because He Himself is my peace with God. As long as the Prince of Peace reigns on the throne of God, I have peace with God. And He shall reign forever. For us and for our salvation, He, the wisdom of God, came down. And He preached peace to us when we were far off. And by His substitutionary death on the cross and because of His triumphant resurrection from the dead, the Savior, the Lord of glory, has brought you and me near to God. And He Himself has made us children of God. We were far off, but now we are as near and dear to the Father's heart as Jesus is because our lives are hidden with Christ in God.
through grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. D.A. Carson, he once said this, Ultimately, wisdom is either from the world and is opposed by God, or it is God-given and tied to the cross. There is no middle ground. Whose wisdom are you building your life upon? Whose wisdom are you trusting in this morning? There is no middle ground. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, you have been so kind to us. You have given us your Savior, the Savior, your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for giving us the one whom you have loved from all eternity. Help us to adore him rightly. Help us to love him faithfully. And help us to walk in this world wisely so that he is glorified and praised. We ask that you'd give us the power to do this by your Holy Spirit. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.